one of the sports that I think truly is one of the top three hardest sports of all time. We're, we're super excited to have this individual on today. He's completed for Team Canada since 2007, won bronze with his brother at the four by seven and a half kilometer relay race of the 2016 World Championships, finished 16th place at the Sprint World Championships in 2017, 2018, competed at the Olympic Games, finished 14th at the 20 kilometer individual event, 11th place, as I said before, with the relay men's. He's competed since 2007. Thank you, Scott Gao, for coming on Matter of Opinion. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So you just got back to Canada. You're you're in quarantine. What are you uh, What are you doing to keep busy? I'm catching up on all the Xbox gaming I missed out on for the last like four months. That's basically <laughs> been my life. I uh, I don't know if what you guys play, but Call of Duty Warzone when it came out last year was really big. And we were grinding that a lot with my brothers and a few friends. And I mean, still going. So yeah, a lot of catch up. So I've been spending a lot of hours on that so far. Oh man, we grind that. Like we all live together. We got four of us all upstairs in the same house. It is, it is mayhem when the oh, four yeah. of us are on there together. I mean, I'm not like particularly good, but I I still have fun. So I don't know. That's, it's, that's it's Jack and I. We're yeah, as, <laughs> I was gonna say when we play Warzone, we, we kind of have specific roles. Why and I are never the carriers. We're never the ringers. Are you? Are you ever the ringer for uh, for your team, or is it always just you know you're providing the jokes? Maybe less than one percent of the time I can pull through, but most of the time you, you like send me into the building or send me in to like scout, and uh, I'll let you know where they are, and that's about it. So you're the meat shield. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the meat shield. Hey, every, yeah, everyone's got it. Our two roommates are incredible at war zones. So they'll, uh, at times they'll, they'll despise playing with us because they know that we'll cost them not games, but you know, they would get more kills if they're playing with two other people. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, but it's the way she goes. <laughs> Absolutely. Have you been, uh, one of the lucky ones to claim one of the next gens or are you, uh, you still like us and bumping on the, uh, the PS4 or the Xbox one. Oh, that was my Christmas gift from my brothers was a new Xbox. So we, we ordered it. I mean, they were all really delayed. Right. So yeah. it got ordered while we were in Europe and then it was waiting for me when I got home. So that was pretty sweet. Oh. So I got crisp graphics, you know, fast loading times. And let me tell you, it doesn't help me play better. So. <laughs> <laughs> it looks good. And that's, that's about it. Yeah, well, you know, I was interested. Like, I if the uh, if the difference was really that big. Uh, the the big thing is it just looks way better, and I think when the new games start coming out, like the next gen games, then you'll notice. Well, you won't be able to get it on an old console, but when you're running like the full 4K, however many hertz, like I don't know, I don't I don't really care, but for sure you notice <laughs> that it's just it's crisp, it runs smooth, it's pretty sweet. So. So when you get shot, you can actually see the bullets hitting you. Is that what you're telling me? That when you're it's playing more, Warzone? Yeah, well, it's more like, you know, if you look past, let's say, mid-range on like a current console um, and everything's blurry and it has to like load and render. Yeah, you don't have that problem with this one. If there's a guy <laughs> shooting me from like a mile away, I look over and you can see him like perfectly and you can see the mountains and the buildings and stuff. So you, there's like a clarity to the game that... I didn't know I was missing. It's like I put on glasses and now I can yeah. see properly. You know what I mean? It's like, it's so much better. 
Oh, no, that's that's incredible. I like, it's yeah, the you, and then yeah, you can't go back now. Once you went played one game with the other, you're just it's just no, too, there's it's no way. Yeah. I, it's yeah. like it's it's too late for me. I tried it out for like a few days and it, that's it. All right. And so like with lockdown, like we know how COVID has affected some of the major sports, but how has like the biathlon competition schedule been affected by COVID? Yeah. So in for international competition, like the word, the international biathlon union is the organization in charge of all biathlon internationally. Like that's the organization and they put a lot of time and effort and money into making sure we had like a full world cup season. So that was the priority. So very thankful we were able to do that. It had limits and restrictions and whatnot, but we were able to compete from start to finish still. Uh, there's a secondary circuit that they're also in charge of that ran most of the season, but it started after Christmas. So I think they wanted to see how the world cup did the first month in December, see how COVID was and if the rules and policies they had in place was working. And then, uh, a lot of the junior cup racing was canceled and the juniors still had their world junior championships which is always great. And that's a big deal. And then domestically, there was basically nothing. I mean, I think the rules in Canada just didn't really allow for any races to be hosted. You could do local stuff and that's what they were hoping for initially. But then I think we ran into the problem where in Alberta, for example, we go into a lockdown, you're just not allowed events so that you can't host an outdoor race even. Yeah. So uh, like the Alberta cup circuits and all that stuff ends up getting canceled. So then you're relying on virtual races and challenges and stuff, which, uh, I think for the people at home is better than nothing, but it, you just missed like a whole season of racing, which is unfortunate. For sure. So then like, what, what did that look like for you? Was it, um, were you on the, on the road for one big chunk or were you constantly there and back there and back? Yeah, we were on the road from start to finish. So uh, I was on the World Cup team and uh, we had a trials event uh, in early November. So we selected our four men, four women. Actually, we took five and five. We took alternates just in case someone gets sick or whatever, because you, you, it's not easy to just travel over to Europe if you, if you needed someone. So uh, we took five men, five women. And then once I got there, I just stayed there. Uh, until I came home recently, mostly because uh, with COVID, that's way easier. I mean, you don't want to fly back and forth and then you come home two week quarantine. That means basically no training. Um, and then for us, if I came home for two weeks, I just have to get back on a plane and leave. So it's like, it's just not worth the time. And um, for the people not racing World Cup who came over, they were there for a short amount of time. So they also just stayed. And then, yeah, like once people came home, it's like the season was over at that point. Whenever they came home, that was the end of the competitive season. So I think in that way, it just worked out really well. Did where you? you... Oh, yeah, you go gonna ahead, say? Go I was going to say, I was just kind of interested to see where you were stationed when you had to stay in Europe. Yeah, so we're moving around a lot during like the racing periods. Yeah. Biathlon yeah. has three, three week blocks of racing with one world championships thrown in the middle. And so between those breaks, like over Christmas, it's about two, two and a half weeks. We spend most of our time in a little town called Obertiliac, which is in Austria. 
it's like super small town, but it has a really nice biathlon venue with a nice range and really good ski trails, awesome skiing. So it's like a really, it's a really good place to be holed up for two weeks. I, I like, I can't complain. It's like, yeah, my, you could think of worse places. Yeah. It's like my second home. We always go there. That's the last couple of years. That's almost been home base in Europe. That's like the default. And then, uh, where else did we go? Actually, we were there twice. So before world champs, we did our prep in the same town in Austria. And then after world champs, we spent a week uh, in a town called Ramsau also happens to be in Austria. Uh, we were supposed to be in Italy, but again, with COVID, when the second wave was going on and Italy started or not Italy, but the region we wanted to go to started bringing in like more restrictions. So then we just changed plans, kept ourselves in Austria to avoid like major headaches. So uh, what, what were you guys doing to like entertain yourselves in the downtime over there? Uh, we play games like we have deck of cards so we can play card games as a team. That's a good way to pass the time. I, speaking of gaming, I have a Nintendo Switch, which is a super oh, yeah. easy way. It's yeah. like super portable and it's been awesome. Like we used it quite a bit. So if you, you, know, you could play it just on the little device, but then when we had a good enough TV and plug it in and then you could get like the guys playing Mario Kart. I was going to say, that's got to yeah. be the game. That's got to be yeah. the game. I've got Mario Kart and uh, we had one called, it's called Super Mario Maker. And that's like you as the owner of the game you could make a level and upload it and then you're just playing people's Ooh. levels that they upload it's like a ton of fun so yeah we, we spent a few hours grinding that one too <laughs> um, does any does anything turn into like rainbow road where it's just anger for like three and a half minutes yeah it, it really depends like think you oh, can okay. kind of pick the difficulty yeah, but yeah if yeah. you want you can play a level <laughs> that you'll never beat right <laughs> like i'll never beat it and then you can play a level that's super easy and you just like walk through it so it's it's got something for everyone. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, we uh, obviously you're team Canada, so you probably don't do this, but a fun game is to do, uh, it's called drinking and driving and it's, you play Mario Kart. Yeah. <laughs> I start off with that. That's going to sound good. You play Mario Kart, but before you, you finish your race, you have to down two beers. So, and you can't drive as well, right? So you can't drink and drive. You have to either continue to race, stop at the, the finish line, which is what some people do. And then you finish your drink or you just, pause at the beginning chug the thing and then go but that's uh that's a fun game to play with uh with friends and a couple couple yeah. adult beverages but that might have to uh, be my uh once i'm out of quarantine yeah it might have to be a fun <laughs> a fun game with the guys <laughs> yeah no it's um yeah some guys start cheating so it gets kind of kind of intense but it's it's a good time yeah, it's rowdy too yeah <laughs> like with with all the different strategies you can take well it, it's a good time for sure yeah, I'll check it out. I'll have to try it. <laughs> and uh, so both of us are interested to know. So during like while you were in Europe, what did your uh, what did your training schedule look like? Um, so for racing, basically, if you were in one of that three in one of those racing blocks for three weeks, the IBU tried to put you in a like in a, in a bubble, it wasn't like a true bubble, like what the NHL or the NBA has, but, um, they tried to keep t multiple teams in the same hotel and just try and limit how many people from outside of biathlon, like athlete or coaches would come in or out or interact with you. So they try and control that. Um, 
basically the, they, the IBU's rule was if you're an athlete, like you can't just go to the grocery store or go to a cafe because there were places we went to where that kind of stuff's open. Um, but they didn't want us doing that and it makes sense. So there's a lot of restrictions training wise. It was basically you show up to training, you have like a two to two and a half hour window for the men's and then same for the women's training. And then when you're done, you just go back to the hotel. And that was basically the routine every time we were in a racing block outside of a racing block is a lot more relaxed. Like when we were in over again, really small town. So, and they were, their hotel was closed to anyone who didn't like need to be in a hotel. So we were the only people in there other than the owners. So you're not worried as much about bumping into some person who traveled from who knows where and might be, have COVID or come into contact with someone with COVID. Like we didn't have to worry about that kind of stress. And then in that town, you can basically ski, like you walk a hundred, 200 meters, you're on the ski trail and then you can just go skiing. So for us, the training is you train in the morning, train in the afternoon, you can just go whenever you want and it's super relaxed. So those in-between periods are quite nice. It's just like when you're on tour, it's very strict and they were very much in control of when and where you can, you can be training. For sure. And so that compared to like a normal season, what would it look like when you're at the competition venue? Yeah, normally you still have your two to three hour window, but you can come before you can stay after um, you could, you would take a transport because we don't always have rental vehicles with us, or at least not enough to take the team. So you'd like call a transport vehicle they drive you there yeah we didn't do that almost at all this year we made sure to have rental vehicles so that we weren't getting the car with like random people yeah so stuff like that and then normally every venue they have what's called a family club which is like a little hangout spot and it serves hot food throughout the day and it's mostly for coaches and uh wax technicians because they're there sometimes eight plus hours at a time so it's you know if they want to have lunch there's a place for them with lunch and it was common, like athletes would use it too, because we train really weird times. It's not always like, let's say from nine to 11 in the morning or sometime after lunch. It's like sometimes you're training over lunch from like 11 to two. Um, or you might be training super late in the afternoon from like four to six. And so it's just, it's awkward with when you get to eat lunch or dinner. So in a normal season, you could go to the family club and if you're hungry, you can have a snack either before or after, but th- this year it wasn't there. So you, it was kind of annoying only in that we just had to be a little more on the ball with having food in our hotel rooms and then making sure we ate, you know, right before we were going to go or just having things planned out a little bit better. For sure. And so now with you exiting competition, what is training going to look like for you? Obviously like once gyms and all the facilities are, are open back up. Yeah. So Right now, all of April is like a off month. So yeah. official training doesn't start again until May. So that gives us a little bit of time to hopefully weather out potential third wave of COVID, at least a little bit. Um, from what I've heard here in Canmore is the Nordic Center is still open. We could still use the range. Uh, they may not allow like a full range. It might only be like our team, maybe one other or just our team. You know, you, know, you have to book very specific blocks. Uh, the gym, I'm pretty sure, is also still open. So I'm hoping none of that changes. Because if that stays the same, then our training is more or less unaffected. 
And so speaking of the range, that's something I'm interested in. So like, what's the ratio in range time to like skiing time in terms of training? Mm. That's a good question. It's hard to, it's not equal, but it's hard to measure because we do a lot of training that's combined. So we're skiing or running and shooting like throughout a two or two and a half hour workout, let's say. Uh, I don't know. I'd say it's probably 60, 40, 70, 30. Actually, it's probably closer to 60, 40 in total. Cause we do a lot of shooting practice and training like away from the shooting range. Like we'll just do work on basics and stuff um, without firing like live bullets at home, which is like just part of working on either your position or I don't know, just being steadier, uh, just being better practiced at shooting. So probably 60, 40. And so, like, I think both of us are very, very interested as to how you got into biathlon. So were you originally like a cross-country skier? Like, were you guys a family of like big hunters? Like, did the shooting appeal to you? What was kind of the the backstory there? Yeah, it's, um, so years ago, I would have been like 11 um, my brother and I happened to be enrolled in a summer camp at Canada Olympic park. And it was a one or two week camp. And the whole point of the camp, because it was at COP is you just tried different sports. So we tried like ski jumping and we did mountain biking and trail running. And we like got to try out a luge sled, like on the ice house stuff. Like we didn't go down the full track. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of the ones we tried was kind of summer kid version of biathlon so you just ran around and you shot a little pellet gun at like a bunch of toys like it's like shooting cans or something like knocking yeah. them off a, like a festival like a carnival yeah yeah ba- basically though and i don't know it was just a lot of fun like i've always enjoyed shooting guns like we've i've been um my dad used to hunt quite a bit and so we used to go i used to go out with him and he would let us like again like just shoot like his 20 gauge that he would bring and you just shoot like a pop can off a fence or something, or you go to a range and shoot clay pigeons. And I don't know, I always enjoyed it. So the pellet gun part I thought was really cool, which is I think what gets most people into biathlon. And then, but I'd never cross country skied before. Uh, I'd done a lot of downhill skiing to at that point. And I, to be honest, I don't even think I knew that they cross country skied in biathlon. I was like, Oh, we're running around and just like shooting a pellet gun. That's fun. So I, they had a sign-up sheet and both my brother and I wanted to do the fall program through COP. And that was like a two, a two day week thing. Uh, but still it wasn't snow yet. And then we signed up for the winter and then that's where I learned how to cross country ski. So that's, that's where it started. And that would have been in, I think 2002. So I mean, it was a little while ago now. And I did one winter program through Ken Olympic park. And, but then at that point I was too old for the program. It's really for like young kids. So then I joined a club out in Canmore and that's, and then that's where it started. I just kind of slowly got into training. I learned how to ski better and better, worked on technique and learned how to shoot and shot a real rifle. And it, and then it just progressed from there. So would you say like, because you had a a bit of history, like shooting your dad's guns and whatever that that gave you a little bit of a leg up so you could figure out how to ski initially uh 
Yeah, not really. I was not a very good shooter <laughs> when I started. Like I was in a, in a biathlon race. If you miss, there's a penalty loop you have to go around. Yeah. It's 150 meters. Uh, I was always in the family loop, like always <laughs> in the family loop. Like it was, it's, it's very different. Like I didn't shoot a lot of rifles growing up. They were mostly like shotguns and stuff. And it's like, those are two totally different yeah. things. I mean, I enjoyed the shooting. So I think I understood how it works. I understood what I was supposed to be doing, but I just wasn't very good at it initially. So yeah, I had to like work on both at the same time. I had to learn to ski. I had to get fit and I had to learn to shoot and actually hit my targets. So there's like a steep learning curve to biathlon when you first start out, especially if you start from zero. <laughs> and so like Jack and I weren't too sure. We we had this discussion yesterday or the day before, but like you guys are shooting actual bullets. We weren't sure if it was like some sort of pellet or something, but like you guys are shooting yeah. legitimate bullets. It's a, it's a real rifle. We're shooting real bullets. You know, I have a firearms license to own it. Um, you got to follow all the rules and regulations. So it's like, it's a real thing. Um, and you do have to be careful. I mean, the one thing we've taken out sponsors or groups of people to try shooting because it is oh, fun shit. to just like try, right? <laughs> like you can, I can bring people to the range. I, and I can like supervise people to shooting at a target for 30 minutes or an hour. And yeah, the one thing is like rifle safety is big. And it's one of those things where, People always, I think, picture guns as like they're big, they make a really loud noise, and when you pull the trigger, it like absolutely destroys your shoulder with recoil, right? Like they're picturing like this massive hunting rifle or like a shotgun, and that's not like this is a rifle, but it's not like that at all. I mean, a 22 caliber bullet is only like this big. Um, it's really small, not a lot of recoil. You don't need earplugs or anything. Like it doesn't even sound very loud. So it's it's like this weird line where. It's a real gun. It is technically dangerous, but it's also just like a piece of sporting equipment and you almost like dissociate from it, but no, it is real and it is real bullets. So uh, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit to what we wanted to talk about later on, but since we're sort of on the topic, so I, I consider like the shooting, like one of the most mentally hard things that I see in sports as a spectator. If you if you miss a target and end up on the penalty loop, like how do you stop yourself from being like mentally dejected or like getting down on yourself in that moment? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, practice, I guess. I mean, <laughs> uh, you're okay when you first start in biathlon. You're very used to missing. Yeah. So over time, you're getting better and better and better. But for sure, at the high end when you're competing and especially when, when you start competing for like top results, not every athlete is always going to shoot perfect and hit every target, but the people you're competing against on that day who are in the top positions, they happen to shoot perfectly. So if you want to be in that realm, in that league, you have to basically be perfect as well. And for sure, there's a lot of like anxiety and stress that can come with that. And it kind of builds throughout a race. So in biathlon, you either shoot, twice or four times and that's so that's like 10 shots or 20 shots and yeah the first the first five kind of sets the tone for your race but nothing's more stressful than trying to hit your 20th shot like you can go 19 for 19 and that 20th shot I mean the number of times people will miss the 20th shot is like crazy 
it's it's like I don't know what the number would be, but it's a if you're a 90% shooter, you're probably only a 50% shooter on that 20th hit if you're going for a perfect race. Something Man, like that. I mean, it's that's like, it's it's just one of those elements, and that's the one thing we work a lot on as part of our training is yeah, you have to be you gotta ski and you gotta be able to deal with like pushing yourself to you know to ski fast and to kind of get to that upper limit physically. But then shooting is the opposite. You need to calm down. You need to be like kind of zen. And you almost have to ignore uh, any misses. Like, you know, a miss could happen. So the, the tricky part is navigating, okay, what do I do to be as accurate as possible? But then if I miss, not just totally crumble and just like throw it all away. So and I don't know. Like, it, it's still ongoing. I'm still trying to work on that because some days are really good. And then some days you just don't have it. And I don't know how to make it perfect all the time. I don't think anyone truly does. It's, it's a finicky, it's a finicky sport. So would I, you say that oh, yeah. missing your 20th shot is worse than missing the first shot of the day? Mm, you feel worse when you miss it. I mean, if you, if you're doing a race, like if you're shooting 20 shots in a race and you only miss one and it's the last one, 19 out of 20 is still a really good day, but you feel like an idiot because you hit 19, no problem. Why miss the last one? Because it nine like 99% of the time, that was all you, and that was like in your head. Like you just missed it. It's not like yeah. it's not like you were skiing too hard all of a sudden and your heart rate got too high. It's like, well, you hit four before that. Uh, missing the first one sucks because it's like, oh great, I missed the first shot. It's like <laughs> stay hot. <laughs> yeah, I had so much optimism and I just threw i almost threw it away in the first of 10 or 20 bullets so that one's more like you got to reel it back in and you got to really be on your game to uh because if you miss the first one well now you got to still hit 19 in a row whereas if you hit 19 in a row it's like well what's what's one more i don't know neither one's great but the last <laughs> one missing the last one makes you feel like more of an idiot i'd say i uh no i just think like the sport itself, right? You're skiing all the distance and then now you have to stop and shoot. But I remember the, uh, the last Olympics and the, uh, I, I can't put a name to it or a country, but the guy was shooting. He just missed the final target and he, you could see his head just drop a little bit. Like I was so yeah. close to moving on and then fuck, I got to do an extra, like, yeah, like you said, like a penalty lap. So it's just, you know, like the, the mental aspect and you can't miss because the penalty is so severe. So it's just mm -hmm. such, it's so interesting to me. Well, and you'll, you know, th there's so many times where you'll hit early in the race and you're going for this perfect race. And in your last shooting, you've got those last five targets and the first, like you're kind of doing your normal routine and it's like, Hey, you hit the first one. You might hit the second one, but then you start thinking like, Oh, I'm hitting them. Like it's feeling good. And then you hit the third one. It's like, Oh yeah, it's feeling good. And then, <laughs> you know, you might hit the fourth one. It's like, Oh, this is it. And then yeah, you miss it. And it's like, Oh, like you just like instantly <laughs> deflated. It's like, you knew not to get ahead of yourself. You knew not to think about it, but you did. And then, yeah, it just kind of crushes you a little bit. Cause a penalty loop is basically a 25 second penalty. So if you were fighting for the podium, um, you probably just missed it. Right. Because like if the guys who you're competing against don't miss and you have that one miss, you have to be a very strong skier to make that up. And I'd say most guys aren't able to. Have you man, ever? That's, that's a tough reality oh, yeah. to swallow. Oh, man. That's like I, I'm interested to see, like, have you ever gone to a, a practice round? 
where you went like one for five and you're just like, this is not the day. Man, I've had races where I go one for five and you just like, you just want to like throw the <laughs> rifle in the range with it. You know, it's just like, what am I doing here? <laughs> I, like, I just, I envision like a, it does like a golf meme where the guys like he hits in the water, throws everything into the lake and he's like, I'm done. That's just yeah. like, it's kind of like what there. you're feeling with. Uh... I can tell you've been there or like even in training where you just, you're trying something a little different maybe and you're shooting and like either your setup or in the speed you shoot with or with your breathing pattern. And it just, it does not work. And it's just like, wow, what a waste of time. Like you just like, <laughs> it's just so frustrating sometimes. Yeah. So you, you mentioned the breathing a couple of times and that's something that interests me the most in like, it, it, obviously it's elite competition and you're coming down and your, your heart rate is elevated. How hard is it? And what's the process of slowing your heart rate down, controlling your breathing when you get into the range? Yeah. So breathing for sure is super important in that you mainly just want it like under control. And that takes a little bit of practice. A big one really is just, it is just practice. I don't know how else to really say it. You just gotta, you just gotta do it. You gotta race, you gotta do your, uh, in training, in your intensity workouts, your, your easier workouts, even you just, your body kind of acclimatizes to it. But you also like when you're racing, you'll never see guys sprint into the shooting range because if your heart rate's too high and your lactic acid is too high you, the odds that you're going to hit your targets are super super low because you need like the finer aiming control and you just won't have it if you can't control your breathing so usually 100 to 200 meters before you arrive to the range you kind of scale it back a little bit so you're not going all out and you're at a more comfortable intensity level where you can come in and you're still like in control of your breathing and in control of kind of your body and everything, but you're not giving up too much time uh, to your competitors by going too slow. And then over time with just practice and really deliberate, I would say really deliberate practice where like in training, you do push the envelope a little bit. You really try and force yourself to go from high heart rate. Like for me, that's like in the one eighties and to try and drop it 10 beats, 20 beats by the time I get to the shooting mat. And even if I do feel a little out of control to just really focus on not letting it overwhelm what I'm trying to do in the shooting range and with my rifle and to kind of just keep the focus on the process of just aiming, shooting, aiming, shooting, and not stressing about stuff that doesn't matter in that moment. So how long did it take you once you got into the sport to kind of feel out that process and really sort of start to master it? Uh, well, you know, if I started seriously, let's say at 13 years old, it probably took me a good four or five years just to feel confident when I came in that, okay, I could hit all my targets on this shooting belt you know, and then a lot of that's not necessarily just the breathing aspect. That's also just like the technical ability and general fitness. But yeah. It does take a long time and really feeling to the point where I'm like, yeah, I can, I can do a race and I know exactly how hard I can come into the range. I know exactly, uh, what my breathing rate will be like at this intensity level, that intensity level, what I can handle, what I can't, that probably didn't happen until I was in my twenties. I mean, it really does. It takes like a long time to like truly understand and get a feel for it. 
So, yeah. And then once you get a feel for it, like, is it kind of, because like, just, just from what I'm gathering, it seems like it's a very like rhythmic sport where you need to just sort of get into the rhythm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's um with, with shooting in particular, the best thing you could do is not have to think about it. And, and that's what makes shooting also the hardest part in biathlon is it's very easy to overthink. It's very easy to stress. It's very easy to be anxious. And it's very easy to think, okay, if I hit these five, I will now be here. Like you're kind of planning ahead or you it, even worse, if I miss these five, that'll be really bad. And it's like negative okay, well, thoughts. <laughs> yeah, Negative thoughts are always a no, no. <laughs> right. But the big thing in shooting is we train for everything to be kind of almost mechanical and automatic. So when I come into the range, I'm not thinking about how to take my rifle off. I'm not thinking about how to get into position. I'm not thinking about what my breathing rate is going to be in this shooting. It's like, this all happens automatically. And then my focus is, okay, what are the wind conditions that could affect my shooting? Um, Is, you know, is there anything else going on that's, it, that's relevant to me hitting my targets right now no okay then it's like you try to get in position and the only focus is you aiming on the target and trying to pull the trigger when you're centered on the black target and of course that's the hardest part about biathlon because you in a race there's people shooting beside you so you can hear if they're hitting or if they're missing you you know there's guys who might be 10 seconds in front and if you shoot really well you can catch them and beat them and I'll just shoot really quickly and hit all my targets. And then that doesn't happen. So it's like, you have to, you really have to practice and work on just being present in the moment. That's like, all I can keep saying like that Zen presence where you just follow your rhythm and that you've worked at this point. Now it's been years of practice of getting in position, breathing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So just don't even think about it. That has to be automatic. And the, the more that we talk about this, the harder I think biathlon is like, we're, we're, we're working on like a top 50 hardest sports <laughs> list and you keep just moving biathlon yeah, further I'll, up. I'll keep list. talking it up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you more and more about how hard it is. I mean, the one thing is it sounds really hard, but if you ever try it, this stuff all starts to make sense quickly and you grasp it quite quickly. So breathing, for example, you work on it a lot, but it's kind of just one of those things that it's there. So you don't have to always be thinking about it. Same with your position or how you approach the range. Like this stuff, at least at my level, and even for like an older or a a more like a teenage athlete in their early adulthood, like that kind of stuff is usually accounted for. So it's not like you're worrying about this all all the time. So it's not quite as challenging as I might be giving you an impression of, but yeah, it's definitely not super easy. I quickly wanted to to mention this and see your opinion, but you touched on it briefly, so we won't go too deep, but you had said when people shoot beside you, right? Like, and if they're going five for five, can you, can you honestly tell me like that doesn't play a factor at all into what you're thinking during the race or, or not? Or, oh, sure. yeah. Yes. You for sure notice it. Um, the key is to ignore it or to like, you can, and you can be aware of it, but just try not to like, think about it. Um, which I don't know how to explain it maybe better than that, but, and, and that's another one of those things where that just takes practice. Like it's just, you have to be in that moment where someone's shooting beside you and you have to try and just ignore it. And then you slowly get better at that over time. Um, 
because yeah i mean when you're shooting it because there's a few races where you'll just be in a huge group of people like 10 20 guys all shooting at the same time and yeah if you shoot better than the guy right beside you you will be in front of them and like we all know that and they know that so it's really hard to uh sometimes separate that especially if someone sometimes you'll hear a guy just like throwing misses um and then that should give you confidence to be like oh if i just do my thing i'll come out ahead but then someone's like oh sweet he's missing and then before you know what you're missing it's like oh crap like i just ah, shit i ruined it, I ruined it anyway so <laughs> you're like you're, you're going off and then the guy beside you keeps missing you're like oh, that's kind of shit and then you miss yeah. you're like oh no yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's happening to me exact same thing he just did so yeah all right and then so to go back to competition so the Sochi games came around and you weren't able to qualify. And um, I don't know if this is true, but we'd found that you had contemplated leaving the sport of biathlon. Yeah. I mean, it definitely like crossed my mind. I don't know. I just, it, I had really hoped to make the Olympic team and just when it didn't happen, it was just like kind of shitty. And yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, well, like, oh my God, another four years. Like, do I have that in me? Do I even want to? Um, but no, I I decided to like keep going and I'm super glad I did. I mean, I've had an awesome biathlon career since 2014. So definitely. Well, yeah. That. Oh yeah. And I you you end up going to Pyeongchang and you're you're in, in three events. So is it hard to compete in? Cause obviously this is, this is not like a short distance sport. It's, it's long distance. Is it hard competing at that level in multiple different events in that short of a time frame, Or is that just pretty standard? No, it, I'd say it's difficult. Um, you know, like the Olympics, I probably should have been in four at least events, but there's a couple events you have to qualify for within the Olympics. And so just, the way one of the races panned out, I didn't qualify for one of the races. I'd say I normally would qualify for not all the time, but most of the time. And so, yeah, three races over those two weeks was not very difficult, but uh, like at world championships, for example, where it's another seven events, potentially, if you're doing all seven, you're totally begged at the end. It's like, it just like keeps stacking. Like you just don't seem to, quite fully recover and thankfully i mean it's the same for your competitors you're all just equally tired <laughs> um which i guess keeps the playing field kind of even more or less but for sure it gets a little hard and even when we're in a three-week block if you're it's only it's three races per week and then you do get time like you probably get four or five days sometimes in between or four days in between you know one set of races and then starting the next set but at the end of three weeks, it's like, you're just feeling it. It's like the fatigue just does slowly build and it's, it gets a little tiring, but I mean, I'm, I'm well, used to it. So it's not too bad. How spread out were the, the events at the Olympics? It's fairly equally spread. I don't know. It, like there's, there's one where it's like, you might do one race and then the second race the day after, or um, the day after that. And then you might have like two or three days of nothing. And then you'll race again, two days off race, two days off race and kind of goes like that. So we, like in Korea, I think the women competed on day one or two of the Olympics. And then 
the relay events at the end were on the second last day. So it's like 12 days or whatever from start to finish. So, I mean, it's somewhat compact. And then, so like, how would you rate your overall experience at the games with both competing and whatever you got to do outside of the sport? Yeah, it was really cool. I mean, they always, they like tell you what to expect when you're there and what it's like. And it was pretty spot on, but it's just really cool to experience yourself. Cause you know, there's the racing is awesome. And to be able to race and compete at the Olympics is, is like very special. And I was like honored to be able to do it. And I really enjoyed the racing. It was a lot of fun, but then yeah, outside of the venue and the racing, then you're like in the village and there, you can go watch other events. You can, um, my family came to watch or some of my family did and they were, they were in Seoul. So they were pretty far away actually, but there was a train. So like towards the end of the games, we went and visited them there and hung out in Seoul and just like enjoyed kind of the tourist sightseeing life before the Olympics was officially over. Uh, like that kind of stuff was really cool. And the village is awesome. I mean, you're 100% catered to almost anything you need. Like food is open 24 hours a day. So, cause we, in Korea, we often competed super late, like races were around 7 PM. So we, we were, we were like getting back to the, to the village around 10 to 11 at the night, which was then dinner. And then I'd be up till like two or three in the morning, which was a really weird schedule to be on. And then we'd wake up at noon to go to breakfast when everyone's like, most people are done competing or training for the morning and they're eating lunch and we're like just waking up and strolling over. So it was kind of a weird experience in that way, but it was, it was awesome. I mean, you're like a rock star for two weeks. Did you ever have like a, Oh, I, I got to ask him this part. Yeah. Did you ever have like a, Oh shit moment? I'm a, I'm an Olympic athlete. Yeah, probably just sign a kid for like when we arrived. Like, I think you get on the plane, you get there and that that's all like pretty normal standard stuff. But it's like, once we got to the village and they're like, Oh, here you get to your room. And it's like, Oh, here's your bag of stuff from the organizing committee it's just it's filled with like stuffed animals and pins and stuff and then it's like oh and here's your team canada bag and it's just filled with clothing and others like mitts shoes hats coats like everything like you're fully kitted for the two weeks and oh here's your new phone because samsung's a uh, you know a sponsor of the game so it's just like there's a phone waiting for you there like all that stuff was super cool and that's like where it started. Cause like that never got happens better. to me. Right. I don't have <laughs> yeah. care packages waiting for me anywhere. So it's like, ah, oh, yeah. So this is the beginning of the Olympic Olympic experience that everyone talks about. Okay. I got, I got to ask this. And like, this is something that I just hear from like every one of those, like they'll, they'll talk to some of the younger athletes. Does that phone come in like installed with Tinder on it? <laughs> no, but I don't know how they, I guess they geolocate you or something because everyone in the village had like the unlocked Tinder. So you, like, you, I don't know, you had like unlimited super likes or I can't remember what it was. You could swipe like infinitely all day. Like there's no restriction, uh, something like that. Or you could see every person that likes you before you've liked them. I don't know. It's like you had like the premium Tinder package by default. And then the, the second the games were over, that was gone. 
So it only lasted like <laughs> the two weeks of the games. Yeah. I I just think it's so funny every time, like, like the within like the month after the Olympics, you'll see like some publications like, oh, ten, Tinder use spikes around the Olympic village or whatever. Yeah. So, <laughs> For sure it does. And my experience with it was, it was, mo- I would say most people weren't athletes and they weren't even in the village or anything. It's like people who are either they're spectating or they just changed their location <laughs> to be in Korea to match with you. Right. Or to match with whoever. And yeah, it's like not a lot of locals and it's mostly spectators or fans of whatever sport. And yeah, I mean, that was like the bulk of the people that seem to be using it. So it is as big as they write about. That's for sure. They're not lying. All right. And uh, I, I don't know if Jack is anything before we, uh, we head into some of our, uh, our fun, fun questions. No, I just got a list of uh, more fun questions to add. So I'm, I'm jazzed. Okay. Ready for it. <laughs> All right. So uh, we'll, we'll start it off pretty simple in uh, a layup. Give him a layup. Yeah. What's, what's next in score in store for Scott after, uh, after biathlon? Oh, I'm going to school, getting a degree. Uh, and then, and then I don't know, I've only worked it out that far. <laughs> I guess a job probably started career, but yeah, when biathlon's done, I'm going straight to university. That's the plan. Any school in particular? Uh, I mean, I'm super open. There's nothing I'm like dying to get into, but I'd be happy to go to Calgary. I mean, I've always loved Calgary. I actually used to go to USC when I first graduated high school um, before I moved out to Canmore. So I'd love it. Like I'll go back there. I think it's a great school. Sweet. Um, if, uh, if biathlon hadn't been an option for you, what would you be doing right now? Mm. Okay. If I could be in another sport, honestly, probably like speed skating or something. I've got like big legs and I don't know. I think I could do it. I probably, I don't know if I'd be at like the same level, but I'd probably go into that or something. And if not that, then yeah, I don't know. I'd just be some, some guy, I guess. I don't know. I would have <laughs> gone to school and average Joe, yeah, some just like a more average, yeah. more average person married with kids by now, probably <laughs> who knows. All right. Uh, so as a spectator, what, what is your, uh, sport of preference? Oh, well, I mean, of, of course I love watching biathlon, but I think that's probably really obvious. So, yeah. Um, okay. Most of the sports I watch are when I'm in Europe like on Eurosport and they show so a like lot handball. Of, yeah. Or like snooker. <laughs> and like, oh man. Um, ski jumping is really popular over there as well. Like that's on a lot, but I actually really like watching downhill ski events. I think those are really cool. So man, when those the, on the TV, speed, the speed those people on, get. Yeah. Oh. yeah <laughs> Pretty I mean, impressive I, shit. That is for sure. A sport. I could not do. Like I, I love going downhill skiing, but I could not, do downhill like downhill racing it's just like it's too crazy it's a really cool sport until somebody catches an edge yeah and that's and really then, easy to do so yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just not for me <laughs> and yeah, I was, like the uh, speeds they're moving and just yeah I, I just i don't think i could do it so 
I, I'll share a little story before we go to the next question, Scott, but I was in uh, Lake Placid and I was at the top of the mountain where they did the, the downhill skiing. And like, as for, as like a fun thing, they had like little noodles to show you where the, uh, the turning points would have been for the downhill mm-hmm. event. And I'm just looking down it, just shitting myself. I'm like, it's straight down. You're going mm-hmm. as fast as you can. And you're cutting these short corners like this. Like, oh, I thought well, I was like, adventurous, but like, this is a yeah, pretty some aggressive places, stuff. Even at Lake Louise, for example, they have the, like the women's downhill course, I think is marked. So you, you could ski like where they go. Yeah. There's sections where it's like, Oh, Oh, this is where they launch off like a lip into a corner. And I like can barely do this at a fraction <laughs> of the speed. So to- I like seriously total respect for it. You're like, you're like one of those like little, like six year old kids learning how to ski with like the, the, the pizza, the triangle, just moving down yeah. the hill. You're like, I'm doing this. It's happening. Well, like, <laughs> a year ago when we were in Ramsau, that's like a big, uh, downhill ski area, tons of mountains. And I think they host a slalom world cup there every year. And we went skiing cause we were in like a easy week. So we went skiing and on the hill, they had like this little kitty park. They had like a little ski cross thing and they had a little slalom thing. Anyone could use it, but it was clearly for kids. So me and my teammates tried out the slalom. We were so slow and so <laughs> bad. And it's like the gates are super wide and it's super, it's like not steep. It's not technical. And I still sucked. So just yeah. stick to biathlon, I guess. <laughs> it's biathlon's for me. That's the ski sport I'm going to stick with. Okay. Before we get into the, the next question, were you prevy to like the woman who, won the downhill snowboarding gold and then took Lindsay Vaughn. Like she didn't even have her own skis. She took Lindsay Vaughn skis and then went and won downhill ski gold in Pyeongchang. Oh, you know, I can't remember hearing about it, but like, I never met her or anything. That, that like just seeing that and seeing the fact that she didn't even have her own skis because she didn't expect to like, she wasn't even sure if she was going to compete, let alone like compete for a medal. And then just like, completely bombs it and wins that that kind of stuff's crazy because like why doesn't that happen to me <laughs> you know what i mean it's like i have my own equipment i have like my own team i own support like i i'm ready why can't i just like show up and win i don't know like good for her right but yeah it's kind of crazy like how stuff can just work out that way right and uh, uh before before oh, i man. hand this over to jack so you're stuck on an island and you can only listen to five songs Oh, for the rest of your life what are you listening to i can't even think of five songs <laughs> that i listen to regularly as it is um can I list like artists because that might be easier yeah, yeah, yeah i can't think of five songs but probably like blink 182 okay that's like that's like from childhood you know it's got yep, like the no, nostalgia can't, can't go wrong can't go wrong yeah um i actually really like queen so there'd be okay. like some queen tracks yeah, can't on go there. Wrong there yeah yeah. Two for two. I'm like, a, two for two. I'm like a rock guy. I'm not big into like rap hip hop. Although some of it's good, you know, you can throw Eminem in there because why not? You're like three for three with some of Wyatt's <laughs> favorite musicians. Like it's I like them, uh, but definitely why I will like them more. Okay, what let's see if I can go four for four. Um I mean I'd have to look at Spotify, see what I actually listen to regularly. Probably like another throwback one is my chemical romance. They always got a few tracks that they still hit, you know, to this day. <laughs> and <laughs> hmm, that's four. Oh man, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. 
Okay, we'll do. We'll stick with four. Four. Four yeah, will work. I'll, if yeah. I think of one, I'll come back. If Perfect. it comes to me, I'll I'll circle back to it. All right. So now I I'm always interested to see this, see people's answers. But if you could go for a drink with anyone in time, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, that's a good question. Man, I don't know. Man, these questions are hard. <laughs> <laughs> you just say a name of like a famous person or I feel like it, it doesn't have to be famous it. it could be like like anyone like that could oh, be absolutely okay. anything um, you want anyone i want doesn't have to be sport like totally whatever you want i don't know <laughs> probably guess. like i don't know like an ancient king or something yeah or like some like crazy like genghis khan or something there you go that's <laughs> a pretty solid that's, like, answer dark or something no, weird, no, like, no someone like good. that to like I don't know. Just have a conversation with someone like that. Yeah. Just like probably the greatest ruler of the world at one point. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe no, that. I, or like, I, like, I don't know. Einstein. Like we can just talk about. Yeah. Pretty or, conventional answer. Although I couldn't yeah. like keep up with that, I think. So that might be a wasted conversation. So, <laughs> or maybe like an emperor from Rome, like something like that, something old, but impressive. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, I saw that you're an office guy. Who's your mm-hmm. all-time favorite character? I mean, probably Michael Scott. Michael Scott. I had to pick okay. like, but I think that's that's almost too obvious. So I think I actually okay. Oh man, there's a lot of good ones. Um, I'll give you a top three. Kevin is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, I think Toby's character is quite funny and like really the okay dynamic he has with Michael is like awesome <laughs> and i actually like ryan really he gets a little Man. weird at times yeah like, he does for sure he grows on me and i think overall he's a pretty good character but yeah the, o- the only time i ever like him is the whole wolf scene where he where he's describing yeah. the how it works and the intricacies and it's pretty good but um you know we talked about warzone earlier but do, do your uh, buddies ever make you the sniper in warzone uh, I usually choose it voluntarily and then suck. So um, <laughs> that's like a mixed bag. Sometimes if it, if I'm on, I'm on and it's not yeah. bad. But, you know, if a lot of times I'll take it and I'm not really productive with it. Uh, and it's, you know, they just have to deal with it. <laughs> it is what it is. Yeah. No, I, uh, I thought I was the guy that drives the vehicles. That's never going to happen again. I was burned pretty quickly in that one, but. No, I was playing uh, a match today. My brother was driving, and I always say that I've got two brothers. Neither should ever drive in Warzone. Okay, and he was driving, and sure enough, we're driving along, and we we come across a group of guys, and a typical like doesn't say anything. Oh, there's guys here, and all of a sudden, before you know it, you're not moving. I'm just sitting there. I'm like, oh, we're getting out. You get out, and then it's like too late. Like, yeah, got the jump on you. Yeah. C4s are so, being thrown. It's it's game over. I'm the driver because I just <laughs> I just I'm not afraid to run from people and not engage. And I usually keep people alive most of the time. Most of the time. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of the, the point. But yeah. Uh well well, why do you have anything more? I, I'm satisfied. I think this is a great conversation. I got nothing else. Well, Scott, I thought this would only be a biathlon conversation, but we mixed in a little bit of war zone. Can't can't complain with that. Thank yeah. you for coming on. Uh, another episode of matter of opinion it's uh it's great to hear the intricacies of biathlon and how everything works it's it, well, i think one of the greatest sports in the olympics and in the world too so thank you yeah, for coming I on with you so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i appreciate you having me on thanks a lot guys